0: Welcome to the Horseman's Academy Podcast, presented by Lundahl Performance. We believe in making advanced horsemanship accessible, and our mission is to present a raw, authentic look at horse training. We're problem-solving, we're answering difficult questions, and we're breaking down common-sense exercises for riders of all levels. On this podcast, we document the lessons we've learned in our own horsemanship journey while offering insights that might help you achieve your horsemanship goals. Thank you for listening. season two episode two of the horseman's academy podcast on this episode we'll answer a question from facebook about a lazy reigning horse that doesn't want to run we'll detail what day two of our cult starting program looks like and we're going to continue on with our series on our program for young cow horses we're going to introduce that horse to the flag today that's next on the horseman's academy podcast
1: so today in our q a segment our question comes from nadine on Facebook. She says, my horse is a six-year-old quarter horse who competed in the reined cowhorse Horse for Charity in Reno and other cowhorse events in Canada as a three-year-old. He didn't continue to compete because he didn't quite have enough drive going down the fence. I swore his lack of ambition to run wouldn't be an issue since I was just starting in green rider classes. But as we now approach entering non-pro NRHA classes, I'm struggling to get him to run faster in his large, fast circles, and it will likely end up hurting our stops as well. I've been told more than once that it looks like I'm working harder than the horse. So my two-part question is, how do I encourage my horse to run faster and more freely on his own? And if that's just not in his ability or makeup, would it strategically be better to slow down his circles more in order to show a more obvious transition between slow and fast circles?
0: And our thanks goes out to Nadine for following the format of Q&A questions that we asked for when we debuted season two she actually provided three possible answers for her own question here
1: yeah so the first possible answer that she provided is while loping bump twice with my legs let him speed up and continue to do that until he maintains speed without me having to use my seat so much option number two she says spank him with the end of the reins and repeat as above She says she doesn't mind this, but she feels like it will take away from her balance and forward motion when messing with the reins that much. Or option three, once I get him up to a good speed that he is maintaining on his own for a short time, stop and rest a couple minutes, increasing the length of loping as he gets better.
0: And she also pointed out, responding to one of her own answers, that in a showing context, it obviously makes a lot of sense to focus on creating a dramatic, speed transition between the large and small circles and she's absolutely right about that i've had multiple people tell me in the past and it's so true you're going to get a lot more credit if you just stick within the horse's capabilities rather than working overboard to try to run this horse at a gear that he's really not suited for and it looks uglier you as the rider look tense you're unbalanced your legs are constantly in the horse instead of just settling into a gear that he that is more manageable, but having it look pretty, right? You're going to get more credit for that than if you try to go overboard and it looks rough. So this was a really good question. And I guess that's where we'll start because it kind of breaks down into two parts. You have a showing mentality with this type of horse. And as many trainers that I've talked to, and I definitely agree with this, every horse has got a weakness, right? That you have to compensate for in some way. Some horses don't want to turn around. They're not naturally quick-footed. Others don't want to stop they just have an issue with committing to the ground and they just you know or possibly their confirmation is such that the way they stop is not straight or it's off balance and there's things that you can do in training to try to minimize that and make that better but it's always kind of a maintenance issue or a weakness in the way that that horse naturally rides and shows and some horses like this one they just don't want to run hard happens when the cow horse happens in the reining and everywhere else as well barrels you name it some horses just don't want to put in that extra bit of drive that it takes sometimes. That performance that we ask of them. So as a strategy to get this horse shown, absolutely, that's what makes sense in the in a reigning context. Is you're going to create a much higher contrast between this horse's quote unquote fast speed and slow. I think she's dead on with that. Um, and so we won't linger too much on that. But I do want to make that point because. A lot of people don't think about it this way, but it's true. You know, like I can't I can't tell you how many non-pro, whether it's people that are getting into reining or the more amateur level, levels of cow horse or whatever it may be, they're putting so much pressure on themselves oftentimes to try to go overboard on showing their horse through something that the horse is weak in. When really what their focus needs to be on is how can I play within the parameters that this horse is capable of, but still show them to the best of his ability, right? It's kind of like having a kid that isn't super talented with NFL-level talent as a wide receiver, but how can we make his skills better at football to such a degree that when he's playing in elementary or middle or high school, he's capable of playing the game? Might not be a superstar, might, might not be the school's best athlete, but he's able to perform at a basic level and he knows what's going on and he's confident about that. That's kind of the mentality that we have to have. That's, it should be common sense, but you'd be amazed at how many people I see, they really beat themselves and their horses up over these weaknesses that are inherent in every horse. Every horse, you're going to have to compensate for something. And so it's just how to approach that and get the horse shown to the best of their ability. But moving on to a training scenario, there's definitely things that we can do behind the scenes to try to lengthen this horse out mentally. And what Nadine said about this affecting her stops is dead on as well. You know, if you've got a horse that's shortening up on you, setting up on you, and not running down with a lot of confidence and maintain, you know, continuing to run uphill and maintain impulsion, it creates all sorts of problems, and not just in the rundown as well. So we need to find ways to lengthen this horse mentally. We also need to find ways to get this horse to respect leg pressure more because she touched on something in her question that has been an issue for me personally in the past, which is you've got horses, especially lazy, dull ones, that as a rider, you're continuing to just bury your legs in this thing, literally carrying the horse's lunch for them and doing everything, manufacturing everything with your legs as you're riding this horse around. And as a rider, you end up working a lot harder than you should be. But in maneuvers like rundowns, where your balance and timing as a rider is super important to hit that stop correctly, if you're in that horse aggressively with your legs and just kicking, 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 and doing all these other things, you run the risk of, thro- of actually throwing yourself out of balance and being in a bad position to where your own lack of balance really in the saddle is actually inhibiting the horse's performance. So it's these problems that build off of each other. And that's why I'm very passionate in my program about getting horses, especially lazy horses, to lengthen mentally and be more sensitive to leg pressure. We talked about this before with lower level, fundamental level horses, but it it applies just the same to the more seasoned ones. We've got to start having a do it now stage in our leg pressure. And so one of the things that I, I actually sent Nadine a voice memo prior to recording this podcast that touched on this idea briefly. And that is that the way we're going to ride this horse at home, we're going to create situations like simply loping this horse around on a large circle in the arena. And we're going to see if we can get him to respond and respect minimal leg pressure. So we're going around on that circle and rather than, you know, carrying his lunch for him all day, we're going to see how minimally we can use our legs and if he's slowing down, losing impulsion, etc., we're going to ask him to speed up, and that's just going to involve, just in my program anyway, we're just going to lay that outside leg on that horse's ribcage. Just pressing the calf of our leg is my initial cue, and I might ride forward a little bit in the way that my seat and body language is operating, and I might cluck in rhythm with the horse. But I'm not going to be real dramatic about it. I'm going to be pretty subtle. But I'm going to expect that that horse immediately picks up on that and we start taking up speed. And if I apply that cue and that horse is not coming with me and his brain is not turned on and his feet are not activating, I'm going to go from a very gentle, subtle, nice ask that I just described and just putting on that little bit of leg pressure, riding a little bit more forward to now a very aggressive, overdramatic tell. I'm going to over and under this horse with either the end of the split rein. If I'm riding with Ramel reins, I'll use that. I know a lot of guys that use some kind of a spanker or a leather quirt or something like that to over and under and spank on that horse. Either way, you've got to find something, some way that you can really put effective pressure on that horse in that moment and get them to take that leg pressure seriously. Why do we spank though, as opposed to kicking? Well, it just goes back to that old truism that the more you kick and jab and bury your legs on a horse, it actually shortens their stride. It it has that tendency, right? Well, we're trying to get this horse to lengthen their stride and lengthen out mentally. That's why we're going to effectively spank on them almost like a racehorse. That's why racehorse trainers and jockeys will spank on a horse is for that exact reason. It lengthens the horse's stride. So we talked about that. One thing I didn't mention to Nadine personally, but is definitely something I would do with a horse like this is, especially in my rundowns, if I'm fencing this horse, I'm going to be probably carrying that spanker with me or I'm going to be looking to do something similar. You know, it wouldn't be out of the question for a horse like this to want to be setting up on you and be really short-strided, running downhill, etc. And you'll see it a lot if you go to premiere shows and you watch these guys schooling their horses and fencing their horses, You'll see some of them out there with spankers, quirts, you name it, and they're like aggressively spanking and driving that horse all the way up into the fence. Why are they doing that? Because that's those type of horses that want to set up on you, slow down, lose impulsion, start running downhill. You need to reinforce the fact that, hey, bud, you you need to keep your hindquarters underneath you and you need to drive all the way up to that stop, wherever that may be. And you need to continuously build speed across the arena, not just pick an area where you're going to slow down or stop without my say-so. And a horse like this, we often talk about, even at the lower levels, you know, I tell people that struggle with constantly nagging their horses, constantly overusing leg pressure, but never really being effective about it, right? And their horse just gets duller and lazier over time. Horses like this have a broken gas pedal, and we need to, we need to, kind of in our correction here, or just to light a fire under this horse's tail, we kind of need to make an overcorrection. We need to get this horse to go from ignoring leg pressure and being just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Try to make me run harder, right? Try to kick on me, see what happens. Kind of go from that to being a little bit on the side of fractious. But I want to be very careful here because in a lot of cases, what makes a good reigning horse is the fact that you do have to push them around to a degree the horse is never mentally ahead of you to such a degree that they're effectively running off or making decisions you know 10 20 30 feet ahead of you they're thinking back about two feet right where you're sitting and you as the rider you've got to be active and you've got to be actively pushing that horse around the ideal reigning horse is a perfect mix of hot and cold. It's a lukewarm horse that has that impulsion and drive when you ask, but otherwise they kind of settle into a mode of letting you push them around until you shut off your feet, relax, and allow them to stop. But that's not often what people are dealing with. They're dealing with horses that are either too long mentally and too forward, or they're dealing with ones that are too short mentally, and they're too cold-blooded and lazy. And in this horse's case... And this is what the nice thing is about having a lazy horse by doing those loping exercises where you're being very picky about how responsive they are and sensitive they are as uh, to leg pressure, you know, and I would repeat that I would make that a loping session every day for like two weeks. You'll find that that horse is going to get more sensitive, but with a lazy horse like this, you don't really have the risk of making them hot and nervous. There are some horses that are naturally lukewarm And if you do this to them, you will make them worried. So I want to reinforce that fact that for those horses, this is usually not an appropriate solution. But for an extremely lazy horse, we need to really light a fire under their tail and just get them up to lukewarm status. If your horse is lukewarm to begin with, this is probably not a good option. Another thing that I mentioned to Nadine in my voice memo was, you know, I might do loping exercises like this where I'm just allowing that horse, say, to travel on that circle I pick up, I ask for an increase in speed, that horse isn't coming with me, so I'll make an overcorrection. And usually that horse will kind of scamper forward a little bit, and they, they will go from being behind me mentally to way far ahead, right? They kind of get surprised, they scamper forward. Well, I'll just let the horse coast around that arena and kind of give them their face, keep them on the circle, obviously, but get my legs out of them and allow that horse to self-propel and maintain that momentum. Now, a truly lazy horse is quickly going to slow back down, and we'll repeat that process again, but I'll do that enough with enough repetition in one loping session to make my point, and then I'll end the ride on that. A horse like this, I might spend a couple weeks where every day I don't lope them a lot, but when I do, I'm extremely picky about how responsive they are to leg pressure, and I always end my rides with a loping session. One of the biggest mistakes I see with people that are riding lazy horses like this is A, they ride the horse too long, and B, they spend a lot of cool down time with the horse, okay? And I'll explain why both of those in this case, keep in mind, just this case, are not ideal. If you ride a horse like this too long, not only are they going to get out of air quicker, because they're lazy, right? They're usually fat, lazy geldings that They, they, they can't run forever, right? They're not an Arabian. And they also, as the horse gets more out of air, not only do you, are you dealing with more and more of this laziness, but the horse mentally starts to get numb. They get almost like a kid that gets tired and they get kind of in that numb, um, just non-responsive stage where their brain is kind of turned off. You know, they're still awake and going through the motions of whatever they're doing, but mentally they are frustrated and they've shut down. That's the risk that you run if you ride a horse like this and are nagging at it and picking at it over a multi-hour session. In an ideal world, you'd ride a horse like this for maybe 45 minutes, you'd get a lot of your concentrated training done at the beginning of the ride when you have the most energy, and you'd finish with a loping session or two. At The end of your ride, you set it up so that your final loping session is complete and you get off the horse. Why? Whatever you did last during that ride is going to be probably the most influential thing that horse is going to take into the next training session mentally. It's what they're going to hang on to, and think about it. We're trying to get this horse mentally in a habit of lengthening out, picking up speed, having more impulsion, being more ambitious. So every time we finish these rides on a loping session, and that doesn't mean you can't cool the horse down, you can get off, loosen the cinch, give the horse a big release of pressure. And you can still walk them around, especially if they're hot and blowing or whatever, but don't do any more training on them because we want that horse to associate that loping session and, you know, kind of the way we've timed it is we've got our concentrated training out of the way. We ask that horse now that he's a little more tired to just give us a burst of energy. Just let's get this loping session done. And then boom, big reward, big release of pressure. You're such a good horse, right? Let's get you bathed and put you away. So, we're incentivizing that horse to look forward to those loping sessions and getting, again, kind of getting mentally a little bit more forward than they have been, kind of looking forward to those loping sessions and realizing that the way out of this situation is not to be lazy. It's to get to the loping session, put in more effort so that we can be done quicker, get done sooner, get a big release of pressure. It's the exact opposite. Of what we'll do with a hot, nervous horse to shorten that horse mentally, we're gonna do a lot of cool down. We're gonna do a lot of after our loping sessions when that horse is all hot and mentally frazzled, rather than ending the session on that hot, frazzled note after all that loping, we'll do a lot of cool down. We'll do a lot of transitions. We'll, we'll bring that horse's mental temperature, so to speak, from a boil back down to room temperature or as low as we can get it, and then put him away with a lazy dull horse that has problems with impulsion, we're going to do everything we can to get that pot boiling. And then we're going to boom in the session, right on that note. And we'll create more of a habit in this horse of putting more effort in and looking forward to that. So it's about creating mental habits there. And that's extremely important because one of the things that she mentioned in here was to continue the loping session until she starts seeing some results, right? Until this horse is running harder, etc. And that's true. But what I, the biggest caution sign that I would throw up is that you need to have a very get in, get out mentality with a horse like this. Don't continue loping around, exhausting them and getting them mentally numb for an hour, hour and a half or more. Your entire ride from start to finish should be about 45 minutes. And within that, you should be doing two loping sessions of like 10 to 15 minutes. 15 minutes is the max. Ideally, it's 10 minutes a piece with a little bit of rest in between. And you're ending on a loping session. That'd be the best way to structure the rides of a horse like this. And the best psychology to use, you know, for the next couple of weeks, you don't take this horse back and start cruising it on a loose rein like it's an unbroke colt. But in your circling, in your rundowns, you need to have a very do-it-now attitude about that leg pressure, and let's try to get this horse responsive and giving giving a crap about much subtler leg pressure. Because the more dull and insensitive this thing gets, if we don't get on top of this problem, you end up working so hard as a rider and having to keep your legs in this horse so much. Not only are you exhausting yourself, but you are continuously putting yourself out of balance as a rider and just hindering that horse's athletic ability even more. And it's not a good situation. The final thing I'll comment on is that a horse like this, even as lazy as it is, we still need to work on transitions. I would work on just straight loping exercises, primarily with this horse, especially if I had it in training for like the next two weeks here, I wouldn't work on a ton of transitions. I'd do my concentrated training, whether that was turnarounds, et cetera, at the beginnings of the ride, and then I'd focus on my loping and just be done.
1: Yeah, Jake, I definitely agree with everything you were talking about, and the thing that stands out most in my mind and really needs to be uh, concentrated on here is that there's a very distinct difference between Asking and telling that you go from asking very lightly, just like you said, it's literally just laying the calf of your leg. We're not burying our spurs in them, we're not kick, kick, kicking, just laying that calf. And if nothing happens after we give them a, a small chance, then we go straight to our tell. And that tell is going to be more aggressive than what it has been in the past because we're overcorrecting. We're not just going to put enough pressure on the horse to get him to run as fast as we want him because we. Know with his lazy mentality, he's always going to be trying to put less and less effort in. We're going to overcorrect until he's running actually faster than what we really want him to. So that's kind of like phase one of addressing this issue that we would go into. Like Jake said, we would do a little bit of concentrated training in the beginning, but our main focus would be on this loping until we get this horse a lot more responsive on his sides to where he's respecting when we lay the calf of our leg that he really needs to pick up his feet and go somewhere. He needs to travel forward smooth with some true impulsion. And that kind of leads into phase two that I'll let you talk about about.
0: Because we're not going to totally abandon all the transition exercises that we're doing with this horse, even though we'll put those on a shelf for the time being, we'll get this horse more sensitive, we'll make a statement in their mind about respecting leg pressure, but when we come back to the transition exercises, the slowdowns, draw to a walk, uh, any of our lead change exercises that involve transitions, etc., we're really gonna have a pickier, higher degree of focus on how this horse is driving up to the bridle and maintaining true impulsion. For example, you know, if we're driving this, let's say we're drawing this horse down from a fast to a slow circle, or even if we're changing gates, if we're drawing this horse down from a lope to a jog or a walk or any number, I mean, it could be bending transitions. It could be two tracking, side passing, you name it. Any types of transitions that we're doing, whether we're slowing down, or even speeding up, you know, I'm also throwing in here lead departures, things like that. We're gonna be very picky that that horse is truly driving up into the bridle, driving up into his face and using true impulsion, meaning he's actually driving off of his hind end. One of the things we often see with lazy dull horses is they get in a habit of what we call backing off of your hands, meaning that, for example, you might be loping around the arena. Let's just use a very simple example. You pick up on the reins to go to slow this horse down to a walk out of the lope and rather than having that be a smooth downshift with the horse staying collected and gathered up underneath of you these horses are doing what we call dropping a cylinder where forward motion ceases and you see this all the time especially with poorly trained horses they kind of half trip step into it their face they back off your hands so they're no longer on the bridle whatsoever, right? They're not engaged. They're not driving off their hind quarters. All their weight is on their front end and they're sloppily worming and wiggling underneath of you, not staying gathered up and not staying together. They're just kind of it's it's like the difference between like a really talented athlete versus a kid that has zero athletic ability like myself. If you put those two kids in a running race of like a 40 yard dash, the super athletic kid is going to run harder, but watch him when he finishes. You can always tell an athletic person for an unathletic one in how they slow down after they've run, you know, however far, because an athletic person, the way that they have a controlled slowdown, they stay more or less in an athletic position, right? Whereas an unathletic person, the moment one atom of their body crosses the start finish line they immediately, like, just everything falls apart. Their legs kind of flail around, and they're just, ah, right? And their arms are flopping all over the place, and they're just so glad to be done. And that's exactly what lazy, dull, often unathletic horses, although I'm I'm assuming that this horse is, is athletic, he's just lazy. But even these horses have those same tendencies of sloppy, uncontrolled, body flailing all over the place, not staying collected, transitions. That's especially slowdowns, but it even applies to things like lead departures, not gathering up properly, driving up into their face and stepping into the lope with control and some civilization, as I say, but just kind of sloppily running forward into it. Little things like that, that I'm, I'm, Not saying that Nadine is neglecting those, because I've obviously not seen her horse in person. For all I know, she's very picky about that and has set the bar pretty high for her horse, and if so, that's great. If not, though, I would just be careful about those areas as well. I would focus on lighting a fire under this horse's tail first, but then as we get Our program kind of develops now to where, okay, we've got the horse responding to leg pressure better. Now let's refine our transitions and the other things that we were working on previously. When we go back to that, we're going to have higher standards now of how collected this horse is staying, how much he's driving off of his hind end. All the same stuff applies because we see this constantly with lazy horses is that, okay, we got them running. But in any sort of transition, they're still not driving up to their face like they need to be and staying truly collected. So that's a big area as well um, that I didn't mention to Nadine when I sent her my answer privately. But I would, in the podcast today, I I really want to draw attention to that fact because it's it's like a subcomponent in there. Because when I tell people stuff like this, and we've dealt with these problems before, But oftentimes people walk away with the wrong idea. They walk away with the idea that this is all just about increasing the horse's foot speed and just getting them to run faster. No, it's about increasing impulsion. And that doesn't necessarily mean foot speed in the same way that a car's or a a pickup truck's torque doesn't necessarily mean how, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate to them going faster on the highway it's that same idea here. So what we're really talking about is impulsion and engaging those hindquarters, getting that horse to truly drive up there instead of just lazily kind of falling forward into things. So that would be my long-term focus. Short-term focus though, we've got to get this thing woke up and respecting leg pressure at a much higher level. But our thanks goes out to Nadine. Hopefully this was helpful in the way that we think about these types of problems. Really, there's no set exercise, but you just create situations like loping a large circle or when you're fencing your horse or other exercises that are, that are quote-unquote loping exercises. This is what you'll do in them, is you're going to be very subtle with your ask, but very over-aggressive with your tell and make a statement in this horse's mind and really get something to happen. And then we'll refine it from there. All right. Let's move into our foundation training segment. In the last episode, we talked about day one of our cult starting program, and that effectively involved us round pinning and desensitizing the horse in two separate sessions on that first day. Now we're going to move into day two.
1: So in day two, some of the stuff is still going to be the same from the previous day, but I'll kind of run you through what our exercises are going to look like, and then I'll zero in and detail the new ones that we're going to teach. So to begin with, just as a heads up, just like the previous day, we're still going to repeat this session twice a day. So we're going to do the one session, let him rest or air up, and then we're going to come back and repeat the same thing. So we're going to begin with desensitizing, throwing the lead rope over and around all parts of the horse's body and we talked about the order and how to do that last last time so it's going to be the same thing withers back hindquarters, neck, back legs, and front legs in that order, and we're going to do that same thing with the stick and the string we haven't spanked the ground yet we're getting to that but start with just throwing that string over and around every part of his body at this point he should be good enough that you can just start with that desensitizing however if you bring him out and he's just a more hot-blooded type of horse or he's just still kind of antsy because this is only day two just scrap desensitizing if he's dancing around not coming out relaxed but in a perfect world we'd start with desensitizing again We're going to repeat the round penning exercise from yesterday. We're going to build off of what we established there. So the impulsion and the turns should be better than yesterday. But yesterday, you know, we kind of got it accomplished. The horse was probably pretty out of air by the time we got anything productive happening. And then we just kind of left it at that. So ask yourself, is it better than yesterday? You know, it still doesn't have to be perfect on this second day, but there should be definite improvement in your impulsion and your turns. After that round penning session, go ahead and catch your horse, snap the lead rope up, and we're going to teach a new exercise for today, which is yield the hindquarters.
0: Yeah, and I want to draw attention to why we're teaching yielding the hindquarters at this stage. We didn't do that on day one, but now we have enough control and we've been in closer to the horse and able to desensitize, so now it's not going to be a safety issue for us to get in closer And start teaching the yield the hindquarters exercise. The reason we want to get control of the horse's hindquarters is because the hindquarters is the powerhouse or the engine of the horse's body. It's the source of probably their most dangerous and disrespectful behavior because all that power is coming from the hindquarters. You know, kicking, bolting, rearing, bucking, running people over. All of this stuff comes from the hindquarters. If we can control that, we can actually – and we can actually teach the horse to yield his hindquarters – to us and and move his hindquarters away from pressure, we can control that power. So when we say yielding or disengaging the hindquarters, what we're talking about is that that horse moves his hip away from pressure and his inside hind foot is actually crossing over and in front of his outside hind foot while keeping his front feet relatively still. Okay, so let's say we're yielding the horse's hindquarters from from the left side of the horse, That horse's left hind leg is going to be crossing under his belly and in front of his right hind leg as he swings his hindquarters away, and he's going to keep his front end relatively planted. Not perfectly, but it should stay in relatively the same area.
1: So here are the steps that we're gonna go through to teach this new exercise to the horse. So first, you're gonna take the string off of your stick and tie it around the horse's neck to mark the drive line. So that gives us a visual point of reference of where that horse's drive line is because we're gonna wanna be behind it for this exercise, as well as it makes the stick a little bit more light and it's just less cumbersome without that string on there when you're teaching horse and you're not sure how resistant he's gonna be. So next, I want you to stand even with or behind the horse's shoulder about an arm's length away. So this is where you should be behind that string that's on his neck and you're facing his tail. So in this example that I'm going to go through, you'll be standing on your horse's left side. So now with your left hand, which is closest to the horse's body, Hold the lead rope about a foot and a half to two feet away from the clip and raise that hand to be up in line with the horse's eye. And you're going to pull the lead rope just slightly to tip the horse's nose in your direction. You don't want him looking off in the opposite direction because we're wanting the hindquarters to swing away. So we want a little bit of bend in his head and neck towards us this hand will also be used to keep the horse from pushing on you so if he starts kind of running his entire front end his you know head neck and shoulders into you you can tap the air and create some pressure towards his eye or whack him on the side of his jaw there if he's really pushing on you so with the other hand hold the stick like you're shaking someone's hand and so at this point you should be fully in position where you belong but we haven't asked the horse to move yet Before we ask the horse to move, just start rubbing the horse's hindquarters with your stick just to make sure he's not fearful about us being back there and in position and that he's not worried about the stick itself touching his hindquarters, which that shouldn't be the case if we did our good job, you know, with our desensitizing, but still just take a second or two here to double check that. So now we're going to switch to active body language. So you're going to lean forward and kind of look intensely at this horse's hindquarters asking him to move. And uh, we're just going to look for a step or two here in the beginning. And you're going to start tapping the air with rhythm with your stick right above the point of his hip. So you're going to tap the air with just tiny little two-inch taps. One, two, three, four. And we're going to increase the pressure every four beats that he ignores you. So if you tap the air, one, two, three, four, and he ignores you, tap him, one, two, three, four. He ignores you again tap harder, one, two, three, four. If he still ignores you, whack instead of tap. So you'll keep increasing those pressures in beats of four until he takes just one step or just moves away from that pressure. We're just looking for a starting point here. So when you're tapping, you're looking down at his hind feet because you want to see him crossing that inside hind leg in front of and across his outside hind leg. As soon as he takes that step, still stay in position, so that means you'll probably have to take a step or two forward to kind of drift with him, but as soon as he takes that step, stand back up straight again, go back to really passive, relaxed body language, and rub the horse's uh, hip with the stick kind of real slow and smooth and relaxed with some rhythm until his feet stop moving.
0: The way you rub the horse in that case is you're drawing the stick across their flesh kind of like drawing a bow across a big cello long comforting soothing motions
1: right and today we're just looking for two to three consistent steps so that first time you ask him to move you're just looking for one step Get one step a couple times, then get two or three. We're just looking for a concept. We're not even worried about a 360 or anything like that at this point. Just a concept of gaining control of his hindquarters and getting him to move his hindquarters away from driving pressure. Also, make sure you do this on both sides of your horse's body.
0: Now, a lot of old guys that I've talked to that start colts, particularly, they kind of laugh at the way that we teach yielding the hindquarters, the way that we'll use active body language versus passive, will make it really obvious, we're directing all of this pressure with rhythm to the point of the horse's hip. Why do we do that? Why do we use rhythm? Well, with a green horse that's inexperienced like most two-year-old colts, using that rhythm and that intentional body language quickly gives the horse to understand that we expect them to move their feet. We're creating a contrast between that and when we're desensitizing, which we use passive body language for. So the horse is confident in the fact that he knows when he's expected to move and yield to pressure versus when he's expected to just stand still and ignore pressure and be quiet about what's going on around him. However, a lot of horses we train are not completely green. They've had human handling before, and a lot of them are actually very, I would say, they've been desensitized to human beings so much, a lot of them are actually very disrespectful and pushy and they're not good about reading human body language. So we're going to be very obvious and intentional in the beginning, in fact, kind of exaggerating everything. Using that rhythm in our cues also gives the horse a chance to pick up on the fact that, hey, I'm asking you to move here, I'm coming for you, and we're we're more or less pretty forgiving in this initial concept stage. We'll refine that to where we don't have to be as obvious in the future, but we're going to start out this way both to build confidence in a greener horse, as well as make it very obvious in disrespectful horses that don't often pay attention to human body language, we're going to tell them, hey, you need to pay attention here.
1: And kind of going along with that, the horses that I've worked with that have been handled like that previously, it's exactly like you said. They have, they've been trained to not be aware of or pay attention to a handler's body language. So the way that I've seen this play out is, okay, they might yield their hindquarters when you just like, sporadically fling the lead rope or twirl the lead rope at their hip and they'll do it then but you always kind of have to use that level of pressure like it never gets to a level of refinement or where you can build off of it or do anything cool so we're putting the time in to do it so in my way of thinking let's put the time in to do it that can actually be built into something that can be kind of cool in the future. This is going to help us when we go to our lunging stage one, where we're lunging them around in a circle and we're yielding their hindquarters. Um, Whereas if you're always reliant on, you know, just flinging your lead rope around or twirling your lead rope or something a lot more obvious, your horse is never going to become aware of your body language because we're not teaching him to be aware of it.
0: Exactly. The, The idea isn't simply about, well, Why would would you teach him to yield his hindquarters that way? Just whack his ass over there, right? The idea is we don't have to whack his ass over there in the future. We can just look at it, maybe apply a little bit of subtle pressure, and the horse reads that instead of just basically sitting there with imaginary blinders on, not paying attention to us, and only when we make him feel super uncomfortable does he now feel obligated to actually move. That's not the kind of relationship we want with these horses. We want them to be reading our body language, actively and paying attention. That's that's the whole idea of getting their horse's attention and respect. That's what we're big on here.
1: One more note before we move on. I've seen other guys that they'll almost sporadically scare their horse's hips over and they'll just like scare it. And then look, it disengaged its hindquarters. Okay. Yeah, it did, but it wasn't relaxed. It wasn't controlled and he doesn't know what he's doing. So we're looking for something more consistent. That's a building block that we're going to build and do cool stuff with. So after you yield the horse's hindquarters, and we get that taught on both ends, on both sides, it's just a concept lesson, then we're going to go ahead and desensitize him, and then we're going to start rubbing down the horse's legs or desensitizing his legs, whatever you want to call it. But our main motivation behind doing this is we're going to start preparing the horse for the farrier now. A lot of horses that we get in, they have either had poor or minimal or sometimes no farrier care. And this horse is going to be getting worked very consistently from here on out. We need to get those horses feet taken care of so that they have the best chances of staying sound and healthy through the training process.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, in an ideal world, we often ask people that send horses to us to have their horse's feet done before they show up because obviously the round pinning exercise is very intensive. If the horse's feet are in good shape or he has shoes on or whatever, it's ob- it obviously makes our job a lot easier. If the horse's feet are in terrible shape. Obviously, all that loping it's a risk, right? That something's going to happen, but it's often a risk that can't be avoided. I, I've had a lot of people that have watched me round pen, horse, you know, training horses that are in their first week, basically, and we can't get up to them good enough and handle their feet good enough to actually trim their feet and get their feet fixed. And they've got all kinds of flare and cracks and everything, and their feet just look horrible. And these people look at these horses like, oh my, oh my God, oh, it, how could, how, how dare you run this horse so much? without having its feet done. But the reality is, it's not the magazines. It's not magazine world. We have to, in some cases of horses that would kick my head in like a rotten cantaloupe if I tried to touch its feet on day one, we gotta work our way up there. We gotta start and just find a starting point of being able to touch this thing, handle its feet, and then we can work on getting it to stand for the farrier and then trim its feet properly.
1: Yeah, it's not like that uh, TV series Yellowstone where they take that, uh, what is it, a stallion? I don't know, some sort of unbroke horse off the range there, and it comes in with like perfectly manicured, rounded, pretty as a picture feet. Uh, that, that's just not reality, that's TV. So back to rubbing down the horse's legs. So our goal at this point, we're not picking him up, we're not teaching him a cue to pick up, we just need to be able to desensitize the horse to us touching their legs. So we want to be able to rub all the way up and all the way down, all four legs while the horse stands completely still and relaxed. No twitches, no gimmicks, no anything weird. Just stand there relaxed and let us rub your legs. So if you're at all worried about the ho- how the horse is going to react to you touching his legs, or maybe he was kind of bad with the desensitizing around his legs with the lead rope and the stick and string, which is why we did those to kind of feel out how, how this is going to go. So if he's extra defensive or reactive, I want you to start rubbing his legs with the stick rather than getting down there with your hands where your head is going to be in a lot more dangerous position. Just extend your arm and use the stick. So start by just rubbing up and down his legs with the stick using approach and retreat. So be smart about it and rub his legs with rhythm. If you find a spot that he doesn't like, say, you know, on his back legs, he doesn't like you going up towards his hocks or whatever. You know, stay there, use approach and retreat and work on that. So if if you can go straight to your hands, that's fine. If not, it's okay to spend a day just working with the stick, rubbing his legs. It's also good to note that these exercises for the day, you know, we're laying them out in the order that we would do them. And the order that they're in, it's not just roll the die and what comes next comes next. This is intentionally at the end of the training session when the horse is tired, he should be sweaty, he should be using the thinking side of his brain, and he should be at his most relaxed point in his training session. So perfect time to do this here.
0: And we'll talk about this as well when we go to saddle these horses, but if you do your job right and you're intentional about this training, you've worked the horse hard enough, got him sweaty, got him thinking, got him listening, you haven't just been dinking around, You get to a point towards the end of the training session where the horse mentally is in what we call the green zone. You get them to where they're almost in this relaxed, submissive state where you've worked them hard enough. Now they have an incentive to want to stand still. You're desensitizing them, you know, in this case, rubbing down their legs or just desensitizing with your training tools. And the horse is mentally relaxed. You've done this now enough. You've repeated this enough to where they're starting to pick up on, oh, I get it. I work, 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 move my feet, he controls what I'm doing, and then I get to rest, and he desensitizes. I see how this game is played. So the horses start picking up on that, and they get to a point where, for a while, for maybe 5 to 10 minutes, they're in that green zone where they're very submissive, and they're just kind of like an open book to whatever you want to do. That's if you've done your job right, and you put enough pressure on them at the beginning of the training session. Now, you can blow that opportunity By dinking around too long, you know, desensitizing for 15, 20 minutes, letting that horse fully air back up and become really mentally aware again and basically get fresh again on you. And now you've wasted the opportunity to do that desensitizing in close to the horse. It's extremely important that you make use of that time when you're in close, like rubbing down their legs, as in this case, or later when we go to saddle. There's a certain amount of feel and timing. In knowing when the horse is mentally ready, getting in there, getting the job done, and then getting out within that time span and not overstaying your welcome.
1: But we were smart about how we got him in the green zone. Some people, they'll get a horse hot and tired and sweaty, and then they kind of recognize a green zone-ish that then they'll do this stuff in. But how you get to the green zone matters. The way that we're getting to the green zone is by gaining control of his feet is by gaining more respect in this horse. We're doing smart, methodical exercises. We're not just loping him 20 minutes to the right and 20 minutes to the left. We're teaching round penning. We're teaching hindquarter control. This is going to produce a product in the end where you can just pull him out of his run or his stall or whatever and pick up his feet because he knows that's going to be a great part of his day. However, if you do the other where you just mindlessly run him around, you're not teaching him to think, you're not teaching him body control or how to be respectful and relaxed, that's going to have to be something that happens every single time. After that, you can let your horse uh, just leave him in the round pen for about 30 minutes or go do some barn chores. However long that takes can be an hour or two doesn't really matter. Leave him in there till he's aired up, come back, and repeat the entire session again.
0: Yep, and that finishes off day two of our cult starting program. Let's move into the advanced segment. We're going to talk about introducing the green cowhorse to flag work today. Just to recap what we talked about last time, we went in deep on the subject of dry work dry work fundamentals and we're going to be building on those same exact concepts we're just going to be translating them now to the flag i'm going to review briefly what those were so in our dry work we really focused on getting that horse to drive forward straight stop straight and balanced be secure in that stop stand still let us soften his face not fidgeting not being antsy but just stopping with us, being secure in that and waiting on us and being patient. When we initiate the turn, we're having that horse follow his nose through the turn and come through nice and soft. And we'll follow through with our outside rein and leg after we've initiated that turn. But that horse needs to have it, he needs to be able to soften his nose laterally, not only at the standstill, but he needs to bring that nose willingly when we go to initiate the turn. And just in general, we've got to have this horse broken up through the body where we can move his rib cage off of our leg you know, get his shoulders moved over, things like that. We talked about some of the exercises that we'll do in preparation, uh, in the last episode, but we definitely need the horse need to have that horse broke moving off of our feet, but confident about it, confident to have our legs in him. And he's not running away from it. Like a scared colt. even though it is a young horse, there's a minimum level of training and relaxation that we've got to have. And that horse being mentally soft before we'll ever throw something like this at, at him. Now, Some horses, especially ones that are really cowy, they get very nervous or fidgety when you make that transition to the flag. Even if that happens, no matter how the horse reacts to the flag, we're going to still ask for those same fundamentals as we did in our dry work. We want that horse to just be confident, be straight, be balanced, be relaxed, be focused. So we're going to approach this and introduce this in a very methodical way. It's not a speed race. It's not a rush. This is not the time for them to be jumping around and crawling on their belly like it's the last night of the futurity, okay? We're gonna we're just taking baby steps here. So we're really doing exactly the same things as we did on our dry work. We just now have the flag that's a target to follow. So obviously, we're going to start off in a very low speed setting on the flag because we're just applying those body mechanics now to the flag. We're not doing anything crazy just yet. And another thing I want to mention is that there's a lot of horses that will follow a cow around or, or have a natural desire to want to follow a moving target or kind of hook up on it. But we, we're not really concerned about that. We want more. If we understand how a horse's body works, it's going to be easier for us to relay to them what we want them to do with their body, right? It's all about body positioning and it's about balance.
1: And in order to be smooth, it has to be correct. Even a really naturally talented cowie cow horse that'll follow it around, he's probably not always going to be in the most athletic position to be able to make quick turns. So we're working on correctness.
0: You know, over time, that horse is going to start associating that when that flag moves, he goes with it. When it stops, he stops, right? We're not ramming and jamming and making the horse jump around, but we're just teaching these body positioning and fundamentals. Is that boring? Yes. Do we need to do our due diligence, though, and develop that muscle memory in the horse and get them relaxed about this? Yes, absolutely. It's a crucial time. I can't tell you how many bad cow horses I've worked with in clinics and lessons that their mind was blown and frazzled and overheated during this two-year-old stage when they were first put on the flag. A lot of times they were put on it too early, no preparation, And the person was like, oh, yeah, he's cowy, you know, and had him like jumping around and vibrating in place and crawling on his belly and tripping all over himself. And that's great for like two weeks until the bad habits start to creep in. Dive bombing the shoulder, no balance, running through, blowing through stops, washing the hip out to the outside. All these things that we didn't have control of before are going to come back to bite us and good cattle are going to beat this horse every single time, okay? He couldn't hold a cow to save his life if that's the way that we're preparing him.
1: Okay, so how about you walk us through what you want this to look like and how it looks like now that the flag is in the equation?
0: Yeah, definitely. We're going to walk up to that flag. And really what we'll do, obviously we're, we're moving on a line that's parallel to that flag. We've got to have some healthy distance away, right? But we're going to step him up there, get him parallel with the flag. And what we're actually going to do before we even send this flag past the horse's hindquarters and have him turn and follow through and go with it the other direction, we're going to actually have to load this horse up on his hindquarters. So take a step or two back to get him to shift his weight and be thinking back. Then we're going to send that flag past him. We're going to turn, bring his nose through, bring the rest of his front end and shoulder through, and go with the flag and travel on a straight line, parallel to our string, obviously. Again, we're literally doing exactly what we did on our dry work, but we're now just using the flag as kind of a point of reference. And do not underestimate asking that horse to load up on their hindquarters, right? Now, I want to draw a distinction here because as many guys have told me, and I still struggle with, it is not a backing up contest. It's about getting the horse to think back, and it's about getting their weight shifted onto their hindquarters so that they're balanced. It loosens up the front end. It allows them to come through themselves and turn with some fluidity. If you're backing, you know, halfway across the pin before you ever initiate that turn, you're kind of missing the point. However, on the same token, if you go to draw that horse back and load him up and he's stiff and belligerent about that, obviously you've got to make a correction in there. So there is a fine line between backing the horse up enough or reinforcing something if he's stiff or reluctant to load up there to get the job done and set up the turn correctly versus just backing and backing and backing, and then sloppily coming through the turn finally and going with the flag. Getting back to the start here, we're going to load the horse up on his hindquarters. We're going to send the flag past him, and then we're going to draw that nose through, have him complete that turn go with the flag, catch it on the other side and stop it. And we're just gonna work on this at a very nice, smooth jog. Again, the flag is on a very low setting. This is very unintimidating. It's slow enough. At this point, we're, we're trying to match the speed of the flag to what this horse has naturally been doing just in our dry work sessions as we're jogging him across the pin. We'll build up speed later, obviously, but in this stage, we wanna keep it slow and smooth. However, the flag isn't there for no reason. And there's a fine line as well here where we do need to have some relationship between what's going on. It needs to translate to the flag. You can't just send the flag past the horse and wait 15 seconds and then turn and go catch up with it. There has to be some connection in the horse's mind, but we're not racing around. So while I can't literally get out a stopwatch and time it because it's different for every horse, you've got to use a little bit of feel as a rider. And the more you play with this, you know, the people that have obviously worked horses on the flag and whatnot, they get this, they know it. But if you've never done it before, you will get your timing fairly quickly. You'll figure out when that horse is actually relating to the flag versus when it's a non-factor. It just takes a little bit of experience, and over the course of one session, your timing will improve and you'll start getting this down.
1: And if he's not relating to the flag right away it's not a deal breaker. Right now we're just teaching fundamentals. We're teaching correctness and we're at this point putting the horse where he needs to be. We're not making a big deal out of it. We're really relying heavily on repetition for that horse to just very, very much on his own and in a non-intense pressured type of way for him to start relating. When the flag goes, I go. But in this day one session, if that's not happening super well, it's not the end of the world. You know, this is going to take several sessions in a row for that to develop with most horses.
0: Another important thing I want to point out here is that when we're starting that flag backwards and we're, we're rocking that horse back, we're loading him up on his hindquarters. The reason we're implanting that seed now, and we're going to do so much repetition on that, is because we, we don't want the horse to associate the flag moving with him turning his front end and following it. We want the horse to associate the flag moving with him loading up on his hindquarters first. Even if that's gonna make the horse a little bit late when we ultimately turn and go with the flag, but that is the point at this stage, that the flag is a perfect place to teach this patience and balance in the horse. And if we're doing our job here correctly and we're patient about that, we're gonna have so much more control When we actually start advancing this horse, getting on live cattle, et cetera. Again, going back to what we said in the first episode about staying in an athletic position, you know, I used a lot of football metaphors in that case, and it's exactly true here. We we want the horse to load up, and as some trainers have related it to me, read the play and be able to make a balanced move instead of just automatically racing through the turn the moment the cow twitches an ear.
1: So kind of the way that it helps some people to think about it, This is dry work with a target. You know, they kind of like to overcomplicate or freak themselves out about using the flag. Dry work with the target. Keep it simple. You'll be good.
0: The most successful guys I've seen are able to simplify this, slow things down in the beginning, and they just keep things really simple and teach good fundamentals. And it pays off dividends because they're not trying to manufacture everything. They keep things simple in the beginning and they let the natural talent of the horse come out later. But now we're just planting and watering seeds. It'll flower and bloom later if the, if your horse has any talent whatsoever, okay? But now is not the time to be thinking in a show mode. So the biggest things to watch out for are exactly the same as we worked on in our dry work, where whether the horse is over-rotating the turn. He's unbalanced. His rib cage is crooked. He's not driving up into his face correctly. He's not initiating the turn with his nose and following his nose. You know, he's kind of dropping that shoulder and kind of lazily ducking through it. Um, He's rushing, not loading up on his hindquarters and being patient. In athletics, there's this idea of wasted steps or wasted motion, and it's exactly that same thing here. We don't want any wasted motion, but on the same token, we got to keep in mind that these horses are green, so if he comes out of a turn crooked and kind of fading off the flag and his rib cage is bent around and and he, you know, he's out of position. We're not gonna wail on this horse. We we don't wanna make an overly aggressive correction. We're just gonna keep our legs in him, do what we need to do with either our hands or our legs or spurs to just get him put back in position and show him where he needs to be and try to have that be as smooth as possible. It doesn't mean you can't correct on a horse in this situation, right? But a lot of times what I see people doing is. They haven't done enough preparation to really get the horse comfortable with being trained on. And then the first several sessions when they go into the flag work, it turns into a fight because they're now seeing how out of whack the horse's body really is. They've got their legs in him. They're trying to put him on that straight line where he needs to be or trying to get him to stop or whatever. The horse is not listening. He's getting offended now about being trained on. And he's like the flag and paying attention to it is the last thing on his mind. If this is turning into a fight and a struggle, it's a great sign that your dry work and just your overall body control is not where it needs to be. So we're going to obviously be sending that flag back and forth. We're working on good fundamentals on each end, each stop. And typically what I like to do, it depends a little bit on the horse, but in general, the more you can lengthen them out at this stage, the better. You know, send that flag all the way across to one end. And then all the way across to the other and get them jogging out a little bit in between. But the more hooked up they get to it and the more they start to figure this game out. And it also sometimes comes down to just the talent of the horse, right? If they feel ready for it, you can push the envelope on mixing it up a little bit distance wise, you know, shorten the flag up, maybe catch the horse halfway just to to check if he's watching it, right? And then send it on a little bit further, come back, do a quarter, three quarters, whatever. So you start, again, it's not high action, high intensity, but you just start mixing the flag up a little bit to keep him honest once you start to feel that he's hooked to it and watching it. And again, throughout this entire process, we're going to be particular about where his positioning is, make sure he's staying soft, etc. but not nitpicky. So we're not going to be machine gunning in his face and you know jerking him around and bump, 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 and trying to set him up perfectly to where every hair on his body is in the perfect position every time. Again, we're just going to keep it methodical, keep it simple, keep it smooth, and we'll just let time and consistency and repetition, as well as the horse's innate talent, do the job for us. Now, one thing I do want to point out, because I've worked with a lot of people, that they don't really use their legs actively in situations like this. They can feel that the horse is leaning. They feel that the horse is drifting off of the straight line, imaginary line that they want to be on. Uh, they can feel that that horse is bowed out or washing the hindquarters out to some degree. But they feel it, they acknowledge it, but they're just not doing anything about it, right? And so I'll just remind everybody that your legs don't just flop and hang there like Raggedy Ann. You've got to keep your legs in the horse to a degree, keep them close on that horse's side, not buried the whole time, but just there so that you're ready to catch them because they're going to be drifting. They're going to be leaning, etc. And you need to show this young horse with confidence where he needs to be at. So you got to be a more active rider. And I see a lot of people that just like their legs are splayed off to the side. They look like they're riding a mule or a gated horse, you know, like those people with super long stirrups and their legs are like splayed wide open. They look like they're flopped into a recliner. That's not the kind of riding posture you want to have here. You want to keep your legs wrapped around the horse to a degree, not buried, but there and active and working. And it's all about muscle memory. Like in the beginning, even even really well-bred cowie horses sometimes don't naturally follow the flag the first few repetitions or even the first few sessions. So in that case, your legs are there. You're just going to actively drive him up there and put him where he needs to be and just let repetition take over. And like I said before, you know, if that horse is getting offended about your legs, getting resistant, stiff, you know, if you go to make a correction, like if that horse is not loading up on his hindquarters and you get in his face a little bit and he rears up or does something, you know, like grabs the bit or something like that, clearly he's way too resistant for this. So you need to abandon the flag and go back and fix it. Another thing that really helped me when I was learning this is I had somebody tell me, do not try to make the horse faster through the turn okay some horses are naturally quick-footed and they're just what i call free meaning that as you pick up you tip their nose to the inside you go to initiate that turn they're very loose and fluid in the way that they move other horses not so much and there's a temptation there as a rider to really kick on them and speed them up in this beginning stage but what that will do unfortunately is it just creates anxiety and nervousness in the horse. We need the horse to think about the turn through repetition and consistency and get him to focus on the flag, but we don't necessarily want him to be thinking that he's gotta rush through it. So my advice is you complete the turn, nice and balanced and soft, and then if you need to get in, get in him with your legs and hustle down the line to that flag after the turn and show him that that's where he's actually supposed to get to, that is appropriate. You're not going to catch up and make up that ground in the turn itself. Allow the turn to happen at whatever pace is comfortable right now in these beginning stages. And then once you get back going straight, then you can hustle that horse's feet up. That's where you get that done at. But do not kick on them and race through the turn in this teaching stage. It's just going to create a lot of anxiety and it creates so many bad habits Because the temptation for a lot of people that I've worked with is that if their horse is not coming through the turn, like really crisp, that they feel like the horse isn't watching the flag or isn't getting it. And so their answer is to kick the horse through the turn faster. In reality, though, they just shoot themselves in the foot long term because they create other bad habits that are even harder to fix. So again, let our consistency and repetition with the flag do its job. You know, the horse is not going to be a superstar in one session. And going along with that, you know, people being too overly aggressive about the speed of the turn is people that will just sit there and drill on this and get the horse mentally numb and exhausted and get them to where they actually resent the flag rather than watching it or being curious about it or, you know, just aware of what the flag is doing. The horse actively starts to hate their job in here. So you want to expose the horse. It's just like any other type of concentrated training that we work on. Want to expose the horse to it when you've got energy to work with. You stay in there until the horses kind of get the hang of it. They're getting more mentally relaxed. You have some good repetitions left and right. And you quit when the horse is still bright and accepting of what's going on and relatively quiet about it. Right. There's going to be some days, especially the more we start raising the envelope on expectations, where we'll really have to get after this horse in certain areas. But we want to finish the session on a good note and not bore them to death here or exhaust them on the flag. Especially in these early stages, you can create so much resentment in a young horse if you do that.
1: Moving into our theory segment today, we got a question that came in, and we've gotten this before, so let's dive into that.
0: Yeah, we recently got a question that was about a horse that is hard to catch. And when people come to us with catching problems, the first question I usually ask in return is going to be, well, where are you keeping the horse? Where is this horse turned out? Because so many times people come to us and they say, I can't catch my horse. And I say, well, where are you keeping him? In a million acre pasture with a round bale and other horses that always run away when I come out there. So he naturally wants to run away with them. Like talk about setting yourself up to fail. Anyway, let's get back to this question. Her, her explanation was that this horse is literally turned out in like a 40-acre pasture with a dozen other horses and a round bale feeder. She goes out to catch the horse, and the horse is weaving in and out of the other horses in the herd, like literally playing you-can't-catch-me games with this lady. And kind of like in basketball, he's setting up picks to put the other horses' bodies in between the lady and him as he slinks away like a little weasel. By the time she finally does catch him, he just finally is like bored with winning so much. He's just like, I'm I'm tired of winning. So he just finally stops and allows himself to be caught. But then when she actually starts working the horse, it turns out, unsurprisingly, that he's a fat, lazy, very sour attitude, kind of pig-headed, resentful type gelding. And he only gets ridden once or twice a week. And he's been used as a kid's pony, so he's very dull to pressure, he's very pushy, he's very just, he doesn't have a lot of control. And again, only ridden once or twice a week max by a kid that's not doing any training. He's just going and riding the horse. So think about this scenario. There is literally zero opportunity right now in this horse's day-to-day life for being trained on or improving or for this lady to correct what's going on. I mean, for example, you're not spending any other time with the horse outside of making him pack this kid around. Every time you come out to the pasture, you know, it's not a question of, oh, there's Susan, I wonder if she's got a treat for me, or I wonder if we're going to do some groundwork, or I wonder if we're going to just hang out and she's going to pet me and brush me, or I wonder if she's going to ride me, you know. There's none of those options in the horse's mind. It's always Every time this lady comes out there, he's going to get caught and he's going to get pulled and yanked on by a kid that doesn't have any feel and timing. What what horse would like that, right? What horse would go running up eagerly and just like bow reverent, reverently and allow himself to be saddled and ridden immediately? That's a fantasy. No horse is going to submit to that if that's all you're doing. Every time you interact with the horse, it means work. It means discomfort. He's just going to be like, nope, and just completely leave the area anytime he sees your mere presence. So in the case of this, this lady, what would be some solutions that we could do for her to get this horse catching well? Well, for starters, number one, she needs to, have, she needs to set herself up for success. If you insist on keeping your horses out in a 40-acre pasture where they have no incentive to want to be caught, then at least create a catch pin where you feed them at. Because then you get them in a the habit of coming in to be fed or the bale feeder is there, etc. So they're comfortable with being in that catch pin. Most decent pastures have a catch pin somewhere where you can feed grain. You keep a round bale feeder. That's the water or whatever. So the horse is comfortable to be in there. You're in there feeding them, whatever. That's where the salt block, mineral block is, etc., And so you've got some hope, let's say, of when you come out to that pasture, a lot of times you can kind of use a little bit of horse psychology to your advantage. Like, you know, you're in a habit of going out there, checking waters, feeding, checking the hay, doing other things. And these horses are in a habit of being comfortable in that catch pin. And oh, that's just where you happen to halter them up at. So you can set yourself up for success that way. Another component is that, This horse needs to be worked more consistently. And beyond setting your facility up for success to where it's actually helping you out instead of just having the open range, we need to invest some time with this horse. We need to invest training, but we also need to invest time spent around the horse that does not involve training. And for as much as we like to rag on people that use treats for training as an incentive to basically coax and bribe their horse into getting things done, there is a time and a place. For treats either as kind of a added incentive to a reward or at least a release of pressure that you're giving the horse or just kind of a, a surprise gift you might say you never want the horse to be expecting the treat looking sniffing nibbling on your on your body and associating that with food as if you're a walking feed dispenser you don't want that level of disrespect but is there anything wrong with taking a few treats out to the pasture and saying hey bud here's a treat for you. Let me scratch on you, brush on you. Just spend some time with you, not in a training context. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. One of the things as trainers that we often get a lot of criticism for is, well, you guys don't love your horses. You're so harsh, but you don't love the horses. No, it's not that we don't love our horses. It's just that that side rarely gets a chance to come out because we're constantly dealing with horses that are disrespectful, pushy, you name it, and have all sorts of problems, that if we told people a true balanced mix of getting respect, move the feet, but also love your horse and have a good relationship with them, if we, if we told people that they needed to have a 50-50 balance, most horse owners would have a 20% balance of 20% respect, move the feet, 80% treats and love all day. So we tell them the opposite. We say it's 80% respect, move the feet, hustle, pressure, etc., and active training, and 20% love, give the horse treats, all that good stuff. So we tell people that it's 80-20 in the hope that they will find a medium of about (laughs) 50-50, because if we told them it was 50-50, they would go extremely to the other side. Okay, that's just our experience. So we put a lot of emphasis on the training which this horse certainly needs as well. What's going to help this horse as well is the round pinning exercises, getting it to where you can actually catch this horse's eye and you can control its feet without necessarily having a halter and lead rope on. And just any amount of groundwork and getting control of this horse's feet that you can do is going to help you because you're getting inside that horse's mind, getting their respect, getting control of their feet, and you are building that relationship with the horse even through the training. However, There's nothing wrong with spending time with the horse outside of a training context. As long as you're not letting the horse push you around and bully you and feeding them treats as you do so. If you're keeping things reasonable and you're just going out there to spend some time in the pasture, give your horse treats, rub on him. I I do sometimes what I call catch and release, where I'll work my horses at different times of day. And sometimes I'll just go out in the pasture for no reason other than to kind of love and scratch on the horse and give him a treat, you know, as we say, give him a Mrs. Pastures, you know, and then leave. And this is the other thing that we do that I think is huge. And I never really understood why this works so well until I had somebody whose horses were always kept in a pasture and he was always having problems catching them. He watched, he, he came to our operation and he watched us handle our horses. And he said, you know, something that I really think works with your horses is, They're getting caught at least three times a day, sometimes more. The first time we catch them is in the morning because we have runs, right? At least at our old farm. Um, Right now we don't, although hopefully we will this spring. Right now we just have a barn. But last year and during the warm months, we had it set up to where the horses were in stalls during the day uh, or at night, excuse me, and they were turned out in the morning and brought back in the barn in the evening. So the first time they see us, we're coming into the stall to catch them, and it's either to lead them out to the run where they're going to get food or to work them first thing in the morning. Every day, it was a different horse's turn to get worked first thing. So the horse is never really sure, am I going to get breakfast or am I going to get rode and then get breakfast? But on top of that, we're going out and with the other horses, we're catching them at certain points of the day, different times of day in the run to ride them. And then in the evenings, we're catching everybody and bringing them back in the stalls for their evening feed and when we catch our horses even to ride we do spend a lot of time grooming on them etc before we ride them so these horses are being caught and released and caught again and released and turned out and put back in and handled all day long but what does that require it requires time it requires effort you can't just kick the horse out in the pasture with no maintenance whatsoever forget about them for five or six days out of the week and then that one day a week or a couple days a month that you need them for your grandkids, go out there and have that horse run up to you like the most respectful Liberty horse you ever saw. That's just not reality.
1: You can follow that program and you can only use your horse for those you know one or two weekends and that's fine if you can get it done but then your expectations need to be adjusted. If that works for you and your horse, so you take a bucket of grain out to help you catch it. You time it so that you put a fresh round bale out there and you close the catch pen gate and and that helps you, okay? But you need to have realistic expectations for the effort that you're putting in. If you're not putting in the effort, you're going to just have to make do and then you're just trying to not let... Bad habits start. Then you're just kind of like, uh, kind of at least trying to maintain and not let things get worse. So there's still some thought there, but you're not going to have that horse running up to you because you're not setting it up that way. And if that works for you, that's fine. But then don't complain that it's not running up to you.
0: Exactly. And we'll talk more in future podcasts about little situations like this. We've gone over some in the past where people get very bent out of shape over little things like this, but they're unwilling to invest the time required to fix it. And that's really what it comes down to. Are you going to be able to invest more time and create a better partnership with this horse and not having these issues? Or if you're not able to do that, well, then you're going to have to pay the price of that horse being harder to catch. And you're going to have to do other things. You're going to, as Amy said, you're going to have to time it cleverly of when that horse is in the catch pen or When you go to feed them, boom, you slip the halter on, whatever. You're going to have to play those games. That will be your reality unless you're able to invest more time and effort in training that horse, but also spending more quality time with that horse and just having a better partnership overall. That's really what it comes down to. It's the same thing as spending time with your kids, your relationship. With your kids, good or bad is often dependent on how much quality time you spend with them. You never spend a lot of time with them. You don't teach them anything. You don't take care of them. They're going to learn from other influences that are probably going to be bad. Everybody knows that. It's common sense, but that doesn't seem to translate oftentimes to horses. People think that with horses, you should just be able to turn them out in the pasture or put them in a shed and put a tarp on them like a dirt bike. And then when you're ready to use them one day, you just go get it out like a like a jet ski or a dirt bike or a boat or something. Horse is not like a jet ski. It's an active, living, breathing animal. And as we say all the time, they're maintenance with legs. If you're not investing in that relationship and that that level of respect and partnership with that horse, you're losing that. It's either actively regressing because you're neglecting it, or it's actively getting better because you're investing in it, but it never will just stay static. I've only met probably one or two horses in my entire life that mentally were so good-minded that they never regressed, despite barely getting worked, and when they were getting worked, it was inconsistent. Those horses never lost respect for the human beings, et cetera two horses out of probably thousands that I've interacted with over the past decade. And so that should tell you something because unless you win the genetic lottery of this amazing minded horse that you never have to do maintenance with, you're probably like most of the rest of us. You have to do some maintenance. You have to invest in this relationship with your horse. It's just that simple.